What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bomb City Locker Room Talk Podcast. You're listening to Locker Room Hype. As always, I'm James Fairchild. All right, today I have the opportunity and privilege to interview former Dusters, Venom quarterback, and current Venom head coach, Julian Reese. How you doing, coach? Doing well, doing well. Uh, Glad to be here. Yes, sir. I'm counting down the days until football returns. Speaking of football returning, is there a timetable for when the Venom may return? Uh, right now, we don't have one. It's just a matter of uh, timing and, and figuring out all this other stuff. So uh, they have a, a poll going out right now, I believe, on Facebook, on our page or somewhere else about uh, what, what fans think about um, coming back and, you know, the restrictions and stuff like that. So that's going to be a tale of all. Well, hopefully you guys can get back on the field. We're all looking forward to the day that football will return. Yeah, uh, the guys are real anxious. Everybody's anxious. You know, we love we love sports, period, and get your mind off of things just to go inside and cheer a little bit and have some fun for a couple of hours. Exactly. We'll go ahead and jump into the first question. Julian, as a kid, which sport was your first love? Basketball. Okay, who was your favorite basketball, basketball. team? 76ers. Well, I always liked the 76ers um, – I mean, growing up, it was the Bulls like everybody else. You know, when I was young, young, it was the Bulls. But then, you know, uh, once I saw Allen Iverson, it changed, and that became one of my favorite players. Uh, his size, the way he approached the game, everything. It was about Allen Iverson. And then I became a Sixers mm-hmm. fan. Uh, never switched when he went to the Nuggets, still a fan of his. But the Sixers, I, I just made that my team uh, back then. But like everybody else growing up, it was all about. Uh, Jordan Pippen, uh, Penny Hardaway, people like that. So. Exactly. Did you enjoy the Last Dance docuseries? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was good. That was good. I, was, I think they could have went a little deeper. But other than that, I think it, I think it was great. Just to see, I mean, no one's as competitive as Michael Jordan. Exactly. I mean, some of the stories were left out, like when he was play, playing Monopoly with friends until, until he won in the middle of the night. And stuff. I mean, just – his competitive nature is just like something else. I just wish he would transfer it to his ownership as well. Get exactly. some people around him to help him win as an owner. I think that that's my, I wish I'd be able to see that in my lifetime, him win um, as an owner. I think that'd be great. Yeah, I think so too. I really want to see him excel and succeed as an owner because he's done everything else to perfection. I want to see him go on that next level and, and step it up. That'd be great. After having a standout career as a quarterback at Southside High School in Fort Wayne, Indiana, you continue your playing career in the Missouri Valley Conference at Indiana State. You were named first-team All-Academic, Honorable Mention, All-American, and received All-Region Quarterback Honors for the 1999-2001 to seasons. You received second-team All-Conference twice and were named Team Most Valuable Player two years straight, and during your junior year, you were named Newcomer of the Year. How did playing college football and attending Indiana State prepare you for life after college? Um, I think uh, playing sports, period, um, I think it gives you like a team aspect to teach you how to, you know, rely on people, but also be accountable and show up for people. So it teaches you how to work well with different people with backgrounds and uh, emotions. And I think that everybody should play a team, some type of team sport at one point in their life. 
um, preparing at Indiana State, what, what helped me to prepare in life was they, they put me out front a lot in uh, different meetings, uh, teaching me how to go to meetings, how to handle myself, how to speak uh, in front of people because I had to do that a lot. And that really propelled me from where I'm at now and able to communicate with uh, any and everybody from any walk of life and be able to sit in any room and be comfortable in that room. So I think that was a, a big contribute to being at Indiana State in the way they uh, treated us athletes um, and made sure we were pressed to, to, for academics um, as well as going out and having communication classes to, to be able to conversate, came in contact with. What was your most memorable moment playing quarterback at Indiana State? My most memorable moment? Um, probably playing against uh, uh, Western Illinois. Um, no, not Western Illinois. It was a uh, Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was on the staff. His dad was the head coach for them. And uh, Western Kentucky at the time had three All-American DBs. Uh, it was the worst game I ever played in as far as weather. Like, it was raining so bad. Uh, the wind was blowing so bad. Our goalposts was like, leaning, <laughs> literally leaning. Wow. And, uh, I mean, it was a rough game. I still had a pretty good game against them. We lost by a touchdown. Um, they were picked to win anyway. Uh, but – after the game, Coach Harbaugh came up and said, hey, I got somebody want to talk to you. You know, you don't want to talk to anybody. And then Jim walks up mm-hmm. and he's telling me, you know, great game. And uh, he was excited to watch me play and uh, had a bright future. And uh, he actually gave me his number at the time. Um, he told me to keep in touch. And then he said he wanted to send me some things. And he did. He actually sent me some, some different workouts and stuff like that to do. Uh, for that next season. So that was pretty cool. Did you have any more contact with him further? When he was with the Raiders, I would message him back and forth. It was all, it was all before he went to San Diego uh, State to become the head coach. When he was with the Raiders, I would email him. He will email back and forth. And then um, and I, I had, it was me. I just stopped. Um, I thought about uh, messaging him uh, while he's at Michigan. I, th- I still think I might just mm-hmm. to say, hey, guys, you know, just to see if he remember at all, but he, he has a really good memory. So um, I remember his dad asked uh, our coach about me when I came down here because uh, he knew I was in the coaching because that very next year I started coaching and he asked if I still was interested in coaching and, um, to, to try to at least come up and, and, and work with him, his father, when he was still with the coaching. So that's a neat connection. That's an awesome connection. Maybe yeah. you can make it happen one day. That's pretty yeah. cool. That would be cool. Your Sycamores had the opportunity to battle against Eastern Illinois and quarterback Tony Romo. How competitive and exciting were those games? Oh man, those were those were some really good games. They beat us by two points, I think it was. Uh, watching Tony Romo, he probably was the only quarterback I ever watched in my life against someone and watched them play, stand up and watch them sit on the on the back waiting for the offense to come. I actually watched him during games. He was he was a magician. I mean, I remember our junior year, he went 16 for 16 against our defense. Wow. It was it was, it was impressive to watch. Um, and, again, I mean, he was just a cool guy afterwards. Uh, one of them things where, you know, guys tell you, hey, stay in contact with me or whatever. He hit me up in the offseason. And I didn't. I wish I would have because he was serious because he told me that both years, our junior year and our senior year, and I didn't. Um, but he, he was just a really good, cool Cool guy to watch and play. And I, I love the fact that, you know, they tried to doubt him uh, when he got drafted. But I watched from my own eyes how he could deliver the ball and where he could put the ball. So I knew I knew what he was going to be. 
Yeah, you could already tell he was going to be a great NFL or next level quarterback. Oh yeah, you could you can see it. I mean, sixteen for sixteen, two hundred plus yards. Uh, his play action, um, stuff that he would he would do. Uh, it was just amazing to watch. So you knew he had all the tools. It's just sometimes you got to really show people before they really see it. Right, and it's interesting to know Sean Payton played quarterback there, and so did Jimmy Garoppolo. So they've had a healthy pedigree of, of quarterbacks come through there with that have had oh, yeah, extreme success. System. Yeah, they got they got a, a history of quarterbacks and success there at Eastern. Some receivers too, who I thought should have got some some big name, big time, and a running back as well. But Eastern Eastern always put up a good fight. And then Tony won like our our equivalent to the Heisman, the Walter Payton Award for one double A. He won that as well. So. Oh, that's neat. In your opinion, what makes college football different from the professional football leagues you've been associated with? I think the hunger. The hunger in college is a lot more. You 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 there to prove a point. You want to play a little harder. So I think that's what makes it a little bit different. I I just think you compete more. You know, you really really want to compete, and you you're not worried about every other thing. I think sometimes when when guys get into the arena, they feel like they're bigger than what the arena is, and don't realize that this is an opportunity to be a professional, and they're here because they haven't done something to get to the other one. So they gotta you know get this step clear first before they can go to the next one. Gotcha. You're from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and you made your move here to play football for the Amarillo Dusters in 2004 after graduating from Indiana State. What about Amarillo made you feel at home and convinced you to stay? Well, my cousin was living in, uh, well, going to school at WT. Uh, he was playing football down there. And um, my dad was like, look, if you want to go, because I, I, when I graduated, I became a receivers coach. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to take my my time, you know, doing this coaching thing. I, I really enjoyed it. And I got a lot of really good feedback from uh, bigger colleges. Like uh, I was in contact with uh, with the University of Miami, um, University of Michigan, uh, most of the big 10 schools. Um, I was in contact with a little bit with Florida, with their receivers coaches. And I ended up getting into that coaching uh, circle where I would ask questions and they would send me things and they would encourage me and um, within that circle. So I, I really kind of got a niche for and the excitement and I put playing back, you know, on the back burner until uh, the dusters had contacted me. And I was like, uh, I think I might go. So when they did, I ended up going, I ended up coming. And then uh, everybody here was pretty nice, treated me well. Um, then I met my wife. And so we stayed, I stayed. God has something different. You led the Dusters in 2004 to the Intense Football League Championship and won in your first year. That season was also the inaugural season of arena football for the city of Amarillo. What special memories do you have of that championship season? Uh, we just had a special team. We had a special bond, I believe. Uh, you had a bunch of guys coming from different places all over, and everybody was pretty much at the top wherever they played. And then for Coach Cartho and Coach Lyles uh, and Coach Faulkner to be able to put us all together and Coach Purdue put us all together and maximize our potential and we pull it together, it was it was pretty cool. I mean, we, we started off pretty rocky. 
I remember the first game we were losing to El Paso, like 21-0 here. And at halftime, Coach Carlos said, look, if you don't win, you're not going to have any fans. If y'all don't start mm-hmm. turning it on, and all of a sudden we kind of like started you know, getting a little flow, and uh, we became a really good team. And uh, we came back and won that game. But our most memorable was when we went to Odessa. Uh, we were down 42 points going into the fourth quarter. Wow. We don't know what was going on. And in the arena, anything can happen. You can score pretty fast. So, like, the lights went out down there. And Coach Carlos said, look, this is your chance. It's a break. Something must have happened uh, to give us a spark. He gave us one of those speeches. And then we came back and won by uh, We won the game by seven points. So, like, everything started clicking. And when that happened, that's when we realized that we're unstoppable. We can play like we want to and not have egos and play together. Nobody can stop us. We just went on and ended up winning that championship. And like you said, Coach Don Carthel was your coach for that season. He's a former great West Texas A&M coach. What was it like playing for Coach Carthel? Uh, it was everything. He was one of the best coaches I've, I've ever had. Um, I've had some great coaches, and he, he's at the top of that list. Uh, just the fact that he knows how to get the most out of you, and he treats you like a man, and um, – He's respectful. You respect him. So uh, he stays true to his word, and you, you, you just want to work for him. And he did. He got us all to do that. He's definitely proven that he's a, a great college coach as well with his success at WT. Yeah. I remember watching those teams, and I remember watching you guys that 2004 season. I was probably a sophomore in high school, and I think I went to every single game. It was just exciting to have football and to have arena here in Amarillo. It was something new and fresh and I remember that championship game was here in Amarillo yeah. and it, it, it was packed there was tons of people yeah. there it was and that's surprising for that first season it was there's a lot of energy I can remember yeah we when we when we uh when that happened we felt like man we're gonna win a couple more here and there um we're gonna, we're gonna repeat and repeat and then uh but things things took a turn for you know Whatever reason, and everybody went different separate ways. Whatever happened to uh, Dwayne Miles? D. Miles, he became a um, actually a high school coach. He coached down at uh, was West Texas High School at the time. I think their name or mm-hmm. or something like that. He became a, um, a high school coach. He's still around here. Um, he has an MS, so he had to stop coaching. Uh, so he's battling that right now. But doing a great job uh, and, and just you know battling that and trying to. I think he's a, uh, actually a special ed teacher. He was at bottom. Okay. Last time, last I talked to him about, I don't know if he's still at bottom or not. Let me check and see. Well, I, he was there for, uh, working in special ed department. Really hope he gets gets better. That's awesome that he's following his his dream and coaching. That's cool. So after leaving Amarillo for a couple of seasons, you joined the Dusters back in 2008 and won the Lone Star Division in 2010. You still hold several Amarillo passing and rushing records, but chose to end your playing career after shoulder surgery late in 2010. What did you enjoy most about playing arena football versus playing traditional 11-man football? Oh, man, just the fast pace, the scoring, and then like how close the fans were um, just to be able to talk to them. You can sit on the bench and just turn your head and talk to them. They can touch you. Take pictures. I mean, I, I think that was the biggest thing in the wall, watching that. Uh, you know, guys get hit over the wall. That was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty intense until I went over there one day and practiced. Said, okay, I can see him. I can understand this now. Uh, but that's that's the most. And the game is just a lot faster inside. 
and um, I played some defense. I played outside defense too, but I played here um, some defense, as, uh, and it's it's just a lot. It's a lot more fun inside. You know, worry about the elements. You can just just have a, a ball and uh, and interact with the fans a lot closer. And, and, and get more out of them to it during the game. I think that's the, that's the most part, I, the, the best part I like. Was it hard to adjust to the space of the field? It was super hard for me. Actually, when I first graduated, I went home and we play, I played for the Fort Wayne Freedom with my cousin in, that year. And I went in to play receiver, but my best friend was playing quarterback and he got hurt. So I had to, I had to become the quarterback and, you had to really learn angles and how to take stuff off the ball. Cause I was throwing people over the wall because mm-hmm. I wasn't used to it. Cause I just wanted to launch the field. You know, I had a pretty good arm and I could throw the field. So I had to get used to adjusting and being more accurate. And I, I think that really helped me to be more accurate. Um, when I went back outside to some trials. Right. Once your playing career ended, you took over as interim head coach of the Venom late in the season of 2011. And following that yeah. season in 2012, you became the full-time head coach for the Venom and still hold that title to this day. You were also formerly the head coach at San, San Jacinto Christian Academy. What influenced <laughs> you to pursue a career in education and coaching? Well, I, I was already in um, coaching education. When I, was, when I came back to play, I actually was at Austin Middle School for four years because uh, I wanted to get into the coaching realm um, here in Texas. Uh, and, and try my hand in that. And they gave me my first opportunity. Coach Parker did when he was at Tascosa. And then uh, Mr. Tex Nolan um, hey, gave me that opportunity to coach over there at Austin with those guys. And I, I enjoyed it, um, coaching all three sports. And then coaching uh, for the Venomous, you know, then you go out to uh, – you go over to San Jacinto. It's a Christian academy. Uh, they – they played hard. I coached their middle school team. I helped with their middle school team. And so I knew all those kids, and I really wanted to, you know, try to help bring change to their program and um, build it. And uh, But, you know, things didn't work out that way, unfortunately. Um, and uh, so I only coached that one year as their true head coach. So uh, then I just went back and said, you know, straight, straight venom. So since you've started coaching, who are some coaches you look up to now? Well, I always looked up to my first coach I ever had, uh, which was uh, Coach Thurner Hollins. Um, one of my best friends, his dad coached us as we were kids in our little league, the MNO Raiders. Um, and then, you know, my dad, my uncles, um, those guys who teach, you know, they taught us the game. They also taught us how to be men and uh, what it required to be a man. Uh, so I really looked at that. Um, coach Foggy, he was one of my offensive coordinators, head Officer coordinators here who taught me the arena game besides Coach Lyles. So those two are my both biggest influences in the arena game uh, is uh, Ricky Foggy and uh, Johnny Lyles. So uh, Coach Faulkner as well. But those I would credit a lot of it to those two because they really slowed the game down for me and made me study. Um, Derek Stingley, when I was in Georgia, he showed me about defense because he was one of the better defensive players uh, when he did play. His son actually is the starting corner for uh, LSU. LSU, yeah. Um, he's a stud. He, he's the corner. He's that for now. Mm-hmm. That the next phenomenon coming out. So those guys uh, showed me. Other than that, I really don't. I really don't 
follow a whole bunch of coaches when it comes to the other leagues. I just I like you know some of their styles and, and who they are when they bring in the best out of people. So when it comes to football, so um, Marvin Lewis was a great coach. Herm Edwards, I really liked Herm Edwards and Dun- Tony Dungy. I really when I was in college, they actually practiced at Rose Holman, which is about a few minutes away from Indiana State. So I really like watching uh, the way that Dungy coached. Uh, I, I was impressed by that. Yeah, he's a great coach, and he's such a respectful, straight-laced guy, godly man. He's an awesome person to look up to. When you're recruiting a player to play for you and your organization, what are some essential characteristics you look for in a player? Well, one, I want to make sure they can play. Uh, two, I look at, you know, um, can they can they also play another position? So are they flexible? To, to go somewhere else and play somewhere else. And then three, I, I talked to them on the phone and see what type of person they are. I mean, we get we get some guys who had rough backgrounds before, but it's all about growth. Not everybody stays the same. So we try to give people opportunities to show that they are different here. And um, and we're about helping building character as well. So if they didn't have it, or at one point they may have slipped, we want to try to at least give them that, that chance to, to get it right and continue to play the game they love and, and grow as a person. Do you guys typically recruit heavy in the Amarillo Panhandle area? I try to. I try, I, I, try, I try to make sure that we go after those guys first because we have so much talent that's, came, that's come out of this whole area. Um, but the only problem that we face is a lot of guys don't take it serious enough. Um, they think it's uh, just backyard football. They don't understand that it's you have to work out, you have to be big, you have to be strong, you have to be fast, you got to be in shape. Um, we've had plenty of guys that we will offer contracts and they come in out of shape, and then um, they don't understand that, that it's not just a Saturday, hey, come play a game. It's we get up at 5 in the morning and we practice. They have to go live ways, they have to watch film, and they have to know the game. They can't just be athletic. you got to be smart too. Because a lot of things we do is on the fly. And as a coach, speaking of your players, you've used an interesting quote in the past, which I'm sure you still use today. It's a quote and a phrase from a Jay-Z song. I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. <laughs> what makes that quote so influential? Because sometimes I don't think people understand that you're, you're judged every day when you walk out your house. When you when you walk out your house and you enter a, a building, a parking lot, wherever it, wherever it may be, someone's looking at you, and they're gonna judge you by who you are, what is, what, what type of business you are, what type of businessman, or how do you carry yourself, how do you speak, what are you wearing, um, where are you going, and and people don't want to be affiliated with businesses that are, are trash. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to carry your life that way. You don't want to carry your Facebook, your Instagram, your Snapchat. Now that you got that, they're looking at all that stuff. They're looking for reviews. What are other people saying about you? And I tell guys all the time, you got to take care of you first. Because no one else will. Right. So how do you want your business to be represented? Because you are the representative of your business. Don't let somebody else do it. You got to do it. I couldn't agree with you more. Oh, that's, a, that's a great way to put it. I've never heard it translated and implemented that that way and it's real relatable for students for kids players to relate to yeah well you're a great local leader in our community and are consistently active whether it be hosting charity events being a presence in church activities or coaching the youth 
you're always involved. What led you to become a community leader and how important is that role to you? My parents, I mean, I'm one of 13 children, but my dad coached us when we were in Little League and he coached other kids after we all got through playing. My mom would work hours on hours and she would go to the Wiser Park Community Center, feed, help feed kids, cook in there, mentor, help with uh, different things. They showed us it's not about us. It's about, you know, what can you do for someone else? Because a lot of people in the community help my family. And so in return, we all do the same. All my brothers and sisters, we all do something within the communities that we live in because that's what we were taught by them. And uh, we want to make sure we continue to do that and uh, do what they they taught us to do. And that's what the Bible tells you to do. You know, you have to you have to take care of where you live. Right. And speaking of your father, he was he was a coach and a very special um, influence in your life. In what ways was your father instrumental in your growth as a player and person? Oh, he always told me to push myself. He told me never to get you know settle. Uh, you may have had a good game, but whatever the things that you can work on. There's always something that you can learn from a win or a loss um, and never be a sore loser. Um, and also, you know, at the end of the day, be a man, uh, be respectful, um, respect the game, uh, be knowledgeable of the game that you play and, uh, and, and then be active. You, you can be competitive without being a jerk. And uh, that's what he taught us. So be competitive and, and do it the right way. Right. And you mentioned having strong faith in everything you do, how has that molded the person you've become today? Uh, it's, it's, it's a foundation that my parents set for us uh, that we rely on and we trust in. And I mean, that's the only way we can get through. And that's the way I was able to get through a lot of dark spots. You know, both my parents passed, but without faith, um, I don't know where I would have been, but through faith and through uh, our belief, we all were able to make it through and continue to push forward. Do you incorporate a lot of faith or, or scripture into your coaching with the Venom? Oh, yes. Uh, I, uh, I tell them all the time, like, look, I'm not here to preach to you or whatever, but I will leave you with some words. Uh, we will um, honor God. Uh, if you don't want to, that's fine, but we'll do that here. Uh, you need anything else, you know, we will pray. We will do whatever it, it takes to make sure that everybody stays in a good, good space and that we respect each other's space. So, uh, yeah, we leave them with scriptures. Uh, try to leave them to plan salvation if they don't know it, and if they haven't received uh, Christ as their Savior. And uh, we we try to make sure that they understand it. That's awesome to witness to those guys and have them implement it into their own life so they can push it on to other people. Yeah, I, th I think one of my biggest, I guess my one of the biggest things I'm really proud of, uh, I had a kid. I say kid. Uh, we had a player come, uh, I think my second or third year here. He was an atheist. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would pray and stuff. We would never do it. And I, we never pushed it on him, but we would talk. And he had his opinion. And he's like, you know, I just don't believe in God. And I'm like, okay. I just left it at that. And then we'll talk. And I may sprinkle a little something in there. Some of the other players may sprinkle something in there. And uh, he called like, maybe four years ago or so. And he accepted Christ as his savior. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is named Nick. So that was a really big thing for me. And one of my teammates, Travis McAllister accepted Christ last year uh, into his life. So those are the things that I, I really rejoice about. That's great. What advice do you have for young 
people who are wanting to get into the coaching profession? I would just tell them, um, be a student of the game. Uh, make sure you learn every position. Uh, there's more than one way of coaching something. Uh, make sure you can get it from every angle. And the biggest thing is once you become a coach, don't be, don't fall victim of two. You want the guys to play your system. You want to make sure that you, your system can fit whatever player that you have and you can adapt to them as well as we want them to adapt to you. Um, don't be just one way. Uh, make sure that you are open-minded. Uh, I would tell any high school coach, don't limit your players. Don't make them play one way. If they can play multiple positions, you let them because that's their best way of getting into college. And uh, that's my that's my biggest thing I would tell them. That's good advice. I mean, I've heard that before from other coaches. You know, your system needs to fit your players, not the other way around. That's an interesting take because a lot of times coaches try to force their system <laughs> – and they don't have the players to fit that system. Yep. Well, coach, it's been fun. I want to thank you for taking the time to interview with me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jay, for having me. It's, it's fun. Best of luck to you, man. It's cool. Thank you, man. I really appreciate the support. As always, this you is James it. Fairchild. Thank you guys for tuning in to Bomb City Locker Room Talk podcast and listening to Locker Room Hype.